Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open them to Revelation 18. Revelation 18. As you're finding your place in God's Word, I want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream. We're so grateful that you're joining with us. We know we have many from all around the world, and uh, we're just so grateful that you would worship with us today. I also want to welcome the venue service meeting right down the hall and Reach Church DeSoto. Thank you for joining us. Revelation 18. I also want to let you know we've had many folks join our church over the past six months to a year who have recently gotten plugged in here. And maybe you're wondering about a place of service. Well, we've had a whole group of people who have signed up to become greeters, but, but we could use a few more. And there's a few ministries that are more vital to what we do here than being a friendly hand and a smiling face and a warm heart towards those who would come to church. There's people who are inviting folks to church, especially as we uh, get up to Easter and and sometimes it can be intimidating. If you haven't gone to church in a long time or you're not familiar with the church, it can be intimidating to walk inside a building. And, and so having somebody there just to be the hands and feet of Christ. And so if you're looking for a place to serve, I'll tell you, it'd be a ministry in which you'll be blessed by, you'll be encouraged by. You let Pastor Chuck know. He'll get you all the information. He'll get you signed up. Revelation 18. The context of 18 is the end of chapter 17, and all that is left is Antichrist and his materialistic world government system. Religion is gone, and you worship Christ or Antichrist or you face death. Well, now in chapter 18, we'll find the fall of political and commercial Babylon. There's coming a final economic and political crash. You remember we talked about this at the Tower of Babel, man commandeered uh, religion. And you have false religions spread out all over the earth as God scatters the nations. And you also see out of those religions arise all forms of false government. And the question is, when will it come down? How long will God let it go? Well, in Revelation 18 and 17, God tells us this is its end. That one day there will be no more politics and there will be no more religion. Only Jesus Christ, priest and king. Amen? That's a good day. And you're not voting him in for Savior. He's not running for Savior. God has established him as king. And so here we see the demise. Last week, demise of, of false religion. This week, false government and the commerce that's so intertwined with it. It's all coming down. And, and it's an incredibly somber chapter. We read these. These are heavy, deep. I, I don't know about you, but I am so ready for Revelation 19. Come on, hallelujah chorus. I can't wait. Uh, but in, in Revelation 18, this is somber. Because a world that has sought after the stuff of this world and made it, it's, uh, the stuff of this world its security and its joy and its fulfillment, it all, it all comes down. And they're left weeping and in disappointment. But there's one group we're going to see in this, this chapter that rejoices. And guess who it is? It's heaven. It's this good reminder. You trust in Jesus. Hang in there. You will not be disappointed. So with that in mind, let's pray together. We'll work our way through this passage. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that we would never get over the fact that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and in Christ. We would have no way of knowing you apart from your revelation. And God, we're grateful that as your friends, as your children, you've told us not only what you have done and what you are doing, but you've 
told us what you will do. And God, I pray for anybody that's here today or watching online that doesn't know you. I don't know what they're trusting in today, but I pray that they would see that all other ground apart from Christ is sinking sand. I pray that they would run to Christ as their refuge, their strength, and their salvation. For those of us that do know you, God, move in our hearts today. Draw us closer to yourself in a world that's constantly pulling us in a different direction, in a world that's drowning out our hearts with voices telling us what success and fulfillment is. I pray today we'd focus in on you and be reminded that the only true source of security is your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. Well, look with me at verse one, chapter 18. It says, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. He cried out with a mighty voice, saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demon and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. God is declaring here the certain judgment of false government. Fallen, fallen. She is doubly doomed. She is doomed because she has rejected God and she is doomed doubly because she has failed to repent of her sin and turn towards Christ. And this is how God pictures her. This is how God sees false government, that it's demonic, it's a, it's a dwelling place of, of demons, that the political and commercial system of this world has become totally corrupt. It's a place filled with demonic forces and unclean and hateful birds. It's the picture of vultures picking clean uh, the bones of dead animals. This is how God sees the political and commercial system of the world. Oftentimes we look at government systems and we see their pageantry and their, their power and we're impressed. Well, know this, God is not impressed. From God's perspective, it is unclean and it is demonic. And then we see the pervasiveness of its influence, even as we saw false religion. Look with me at verse three. It says, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. This false governmental system has led the world into some kind of materialistic stupor that the desire uh, for power and luxury and the wealth of Babylon dulls their minds. They just kind of get sucked in by the lure of the world, seduced by Babylon and its false governmental system. You know, I, I was speaking with a guy a few weeks ago and he was telling me about how when he was early in his career, he went and worked in Manhattan in the midst of all the financial markets and, and he said it was like the belly of the beast. That in the midst of all that power and wealth, if you're not careful, regardless of how firm your foundation is, you'll just kind of get sucked in. Well, that's, that's the picture that's being portrayed here, that this false governmental commercial system's just kind of sucking the world into its grasp. And God knew this would be a danger. It's why with the, with the people of Israel, God only commanded one Israelite to have a daily quiet time, and it was the king. God commanded that the king, every day, the king not just read the word of God, but the king was commanded to write out the law of God every day because God knew that a person in that kind of position of power will have a propensity to get sucked in by the things of the world and go crazy and become harmful to a whole lot of people. 
And so God said every day by writing out my law, you're going to be reminded that there's somebody higher than you and you're accountable to that person. And we've all seen individuals in positions of power and leadership, the dangers, they just kind of get sucked in and there's need of accountability to God. It's why our presidents put their hand on the Bible when they're inaugurated. It's a reminder to them, there's somebody a whole lot bigger than you and you're accountable to that person. And so in the midst of the tribulation, the, the picture is horrible. We, we think it's bad today, folks. Uh, the tribulation will be the apex of political corruption. Look at verse four. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plague. So there's a warning here that judgment is coming. You're about to be judged. And that God's invitation to repent and to turn from their sins continues to the very end. We've seen this throughout Revelation where we, we marvel that his, his patience is almost excessive. That God is patient, desiring that none should perish. And so even here, he extends an invitation to flee the immorality of this false political system and run to Christ. And the same invitation goes out today. That this is where the world is headed. This world system with all its wealth and power is coming down. And if you do not get on board with Jesus through faith and repentance, you'll go down with it. It's interesting to me, even here in the tribulation, in the midst of all the judgments that have been poured out on the earth, it appears that the vast majority of people are still looking to the wealth and power of Antichrist to deliver them that they won't simply turn and look to Christ. They're still trusting in this in individual, this political system and his wealth. And you know, as I thought about that, it's not too different from our world. People today, that they continue to look to a politician or the economy or a marketplace for salvation and security. And God said, don't be deceived by its current status. Uh, I was just out of curiosity researched over the past 50 years what the average annual rate of return on the market is and it's about 10%. And that sounds all well and good, just know this, that one day that won't be the annual rate of return anymore. <laughs> it's all coming down in one final economic crash. Well look at verse five, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities that the sins of this political Babylon, it's, it's kind of a, a picture of a new Tower of Babel, that the Tower of Babel that was created to extend to the heavens to worship creation and, and man to worship himself. Here we see a new Tower of Babel being built up upon the sinfulness of this false governmental system. And it says that God remembers her iniquities. That to me, as I was studying this, that stuck in me. That, that was to me the most frightening phrase in the entire passage. God remembered her sins. Know this this morning. God remembers every sin that is not covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Meeting today, this is an incredible news for those who trust in Christ, those who turn from their sins and turn to Christ in repentance and faith. The promise of the word of God is that he not only forgives your sins, he forgets them. Isn't that amazing that through faith in Christ your sins are as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. In fact, that's the context in Isaiah when it says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The context is forgiveness. That you and I, we can forgive somebody, but we have trouble forgetting, don't we? God says my ways are not your ways. 
I forgive, I not only forgive, but I also forget. And so God remembered their sins. They would not turn to Christ in repentance and, for, and faith and and they'll be judged accordingly. Look at verse six. Pay her back even as she is paid and give back her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I'm not a widow and will never see mourning. You know, you and I as believers in Christ were not to seek revenge. When, when somebody sins against us, uh, Romans 12, 18, 19 tells us, uh, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And it says, leave room for the justice of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. God says, I'll take care of that. That's not your job. You forgive. So you and I, we are, through the forgiveness of Christ, we're inclined to forgive those who hurt us. But when we extend forgiveness, our forgiveness does not cancel out God's divine vindication. Meaning we can forgive them, but if they never turn to Christ in faith and repentance, seeking God's forgiveness through faith in Christ, they will face the just penalty for their sin. And here it says God gives her back doubly. It's an Old Testament way of saying that God gives her the full measure of his wrath. You know, a lot of people, they say, well, I'm, I'm afraid of hell. Listen to me. More than the fear of hell, you need to be afraid of standing before holy, almighty God without the covering of Christ's shed blood on your life. Because if you will not receive the forgiveness of Christ and the covering, the cleansing of his shed blood, you will face the full cup of God's wrath. That's a frightening thing. And look at the, the pride of this, this false political system. She says, I sit as a queen, not a widow. I will never mourn that this world somehow thinks that they can get rid of God, live in blatant disobedience to his truth and his word, and through wealth and power, they can find security and prosperity, isn't that incredible? That the world thinks that somehow they can snub their nose at God, blatantly disobey him, and somehow it's still gonna work out really well for them. It's incredible pride. Well, God says to the extent she's glorified herself, to the same extent she'll be in mourning. If there's one thing that we see in scripture, it's that God hates pride. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 5, 5, that God opposes, that's a strong word, not just that he's neutral on pride, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble that the number one prerequisite to coming to faith in Jesus Christ is to humble yourself and recognize your sin. But God opposes the proud. You know, you remember Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he got a little arrogant, he looked out over what he, what he had, was reigning over and he says, look at what I've done, look at how great I am. And God says, you think you're great? How's about me? We, we, we make you eat grass like a cow for a few years. And we'll see how great. Can God take a man who's really proud and bring him down like that? You bet he can. You remember Herod, uh, they said he spoke and they said, the voice of a God and not of a man. And Herod didn't correct him. You remember what happened? God struck him with worms and he died. Which is a pretty good indication that you're not headed in the right direction. You remember Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 5? Belshazzar, you talk about arrogance. 
This man found himself in a drunken stupor at a party with his wives and his concubines engaging in all kinds of immorality and they took the things from the sacred temple that he had brought back as bounty after conquering the Israelites and he took those sacred utensils and he uses them, used them like, like solo cups at a party. And you remember what happened? A hand shows up and starts writing on the wall. And says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, you farsen, meaning, as Daniel interpreted, you, sir, have been weighed and found wanting. You are going down, brother. And that night, he was gone. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen to me. No one is so powerful or wealthy so as to escape the judgment of God. We see a lot of people today that think that they are so wealthy and powerful that they are untouchable. Listen to me. All the wealth in the world will not save them from the wrath of God. There's only one true source of security and salvation, and it's Jesus Christ. And the good news is, the beauty of this is, when we humble ourselves and admit our sins, turn from our sins and trust in Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we receive the forgiveness of our sins and the deposit of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing to us that one day we will be with God forever. You want to know the secret to success and security? It's in humility and trusting in Christ. Isn't that great? I love this. God tells us in his word that the way to greatness in God's kingdom, the way to security is in humility. It's humbling yourself and trusting in Christ. And, and and the good news is when you got Christ, you can be no more secure than when you're in Christ. Meaning it doesn't matter what happens to you or doesn't happen to you. If you have Christ, you are eternally secure. As I was saying this, I was reminded of the army ranger. I saw this army ranger who stormed the beaches at Normandy and they said, how did you do it? How in the world did you storm those beaches and mount that beachhead and take that hill, he said, we did it because we had to. We didn't have a choice. And this is what he said. He said, it didn't really matter to me if I died on that beach or not. I knew I was in the center of God's will. And he said, there's no safer place to be than in the center of God's will. You want to be secure? Be in Christ. Be found faithful to him. Look at verse 8. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she'll be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. One day, in one moment, one day, very quickly, it's all coming down. The Lord said his coming will be like the days of Noah. People are eating and drinking, doing whatever they want to do. They believe that they're safe and secure, not a care in the world, and then the rain will begin to fall from the sky, and quickly their lives will be swept away. So will the judgment of God be. It'll come quickly and suddenly. Then look at verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, whoa, whoa, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the rest of the chapter, it's a funeral dirge. It's somber, it's grieving, because everything the world went after for happiness and success and security is all wiped away. 
Look at it, it mentioned in verse 11 through 14, and the, the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore, cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. The fruit you long for has gone from you. And all the things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you. And men will no longer find them. You see a world of people grieving, weeping, not over their sins. Not because they've realized the depth of their sinfulness. But because no one buys their cargo anymore. It's purely selfish. It's purely monetary. They can't meet their quota. They can't sell their stuff, so they're grieving, weeping not over their sins. There's a good mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, but mourn over their sin. These people aren't mourning over their sin. They're mourning over their stuff. God bankrupts the system. The whole system disintegrates in a moment. The global market fails, and there's weeping. Look at verse 15. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste, and every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she's been laid waste. It's one of the most vivid pictures in all of God's word of eternal torment. They are weeping and weeping and weeping and they will never stop weeping. It's a picture of people who have lost everything. All the things that they sought and pursued and and loved and valued are gone and gone forever. Listen, if your life and fulfillment is found in the stuff of this world, just be warned today, it will one day all be gone. The stuff in this world that we have enjoyed, one day we're gonna leave it all behind and all we will have is Jesus and for those who know Christ it'll be okay because Christ is all we need and all we wanted anyway. I was saying this, I, I remembered a professor I had in, at Southwest Baptist University named Dr. Awad. He grew up in Jordan and as a little kid in a, in a war, he and his family lost everything. And he said he would never forget having lost everything his family looked to their, to their dad and his dad's word to them in that moment was, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he said in that moment, I realized that all that really mattered was having Christ. If you trust in the stuff of this world, it ends in pain and eternal sorrow. You trust completely in Christ, it's a life that ends 
in eternal life and eternal joy. So for us today, if you're like me, you enjoy a little cookies and cream ice cream every now and then. Enjoy going to a ball game. We enjoy our clothing, our food, and our houses, but we must never forget it's all just a bunch of junk. And one day it's all gonna be run out to the curb. Either Christ is gonna call us home or you're gonna die and they're gonna have a little service for you and say some nice things and then we're gonna eat some fried chicken and it'll all be over. Be warned. I've done a few of them. It's all going away. I have a friend who works, um, business owner, and he says oftentimes as he's contemplating some of the big decisions that he has to make for his company, he'll go to a certain spot in downtown Kansas City where there's these big junk piles. And he'll see these piles of metal and they'll use this big magnet to pull it up and then put it in a big waste container. And he'll say he'll park his car so as to look at that junk as he makes a decision to be reminded that all that stuff that's being thrown out at some point or another, somebody loved it. Somebody paid good money for it. Somebody thought it was incredibly valuable and now it's just a pile of junk. And he says it reminds him of the basis of all of his decisions is not how much more junk I can accumulate but what is right in the sight of God. Because that all that matters is faithfulness to him. You know, the beauty of this is Jesus is our ultimate example in this way. When Jesus died on the cross, you could take everything he owned and roll dice for it and walk away with it in your pockets. And nobody knew more about the true meaning of life than Jesus. I say, I hope my last check bounces. I've warned my boys. We enjoy what we have, we don't hope in it. And these are people who have been offered eternal life in Christ, but they refuse Christ for the appeal of Babylon. They refuse Christ because of pride. They refuse Christ because they treasure the things of this world more than Christ. And now all those other things are taken from them and there's no chance for salvation after death. The wages of sin is death, meaning they wanted their sin more than Christ. They wanted their sin, and now they will have their death. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. Look at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Rejoice. It sounds odd in the midst of this chapter of somberness and and mourning, who in the world is happy at this moment? Heaven is happy. Heaven rejoices at the triumph of God's righteousness. This is not some gleeful song of personal vengeance. No, the context is the saints that have faced severe persecution and death at the, at the hands of evil and wicked politicians and governmental figures. And the question throughout Revelation is how long, how long are you gonna let this go? You ever feel that way out in the world? You see good people who are living for Christ, persecuted, mistreated at the hands of evil and wicked men, and you say, God, how long? Well, right here, God answers. Right here, God's righteousness is, is vindicated. The wrong fails, and right prevails. 
and heaven rejoices. Look at verse 21. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of the mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of the lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. Because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets. And of the saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Here at the end God just turns out the lights. The action of the the millstone refers back to an incident in Jeremiah's life when he pronounced judgment upon Babylon through the portrayal of a millstone that was thrown into the sea. And the commentators argue as to whether or not we're referring to a literal Babylon here at the end, that there will be a rebuild. And I, I believe to some extent that's kind of where I head is that there is going to be some form of rebuilt literal Babylon. So another Babylon that will be built. But certainly I think all the commentators agree that both Jeremiah and John are talking about the end of something that's much greater than just one city. What we're talking about here is the end of the world system that has hated God, hated Christ, hated and killed the prophets and the saints and ultimately who killed Christ. And this is why they're destroyed at the end of verse 23 because all the merchants and men and nations were deceived by your sorcery. They followed a lie. They defamed the image of God and the dignity of man. And now God is going to destroy them. God sent the prophets. God sent the truth. God sent his son. God sent the saints. And this world of false government killed them. And they did not repent. Uh, As I've been reading the final week of Christ as we lead up to Easter And I was reminded of two individuals at the end of Christ's life that come together that never would have been friends otherwise. They never would have hung out at parties together. They would have never been friends. One represents religion and the other represents politics. And they both align themselves together against one common enemy. And who was it? Christ. You got Herod and Pilate. Fast friends because they both hated Jesus. This point, false religion, false government will come to its end. It's all coming down. Well, what does this mean for us today? Well, primarily, as we look at the demise of false government, we're reminded that all the nations of the world at some point are coming down. They will all be brought down, as we read in Daniel, by the rock, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but every morning I wake in this great nation, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to live here where every day we enjoy incredible freedom. Freedom that has been purchased for us by men and women who have given their lives and sacrificed. We're so incredibly blessed. A nation founded upon the best of the Reformation that came over from England and designed this constitutional republic on the basis of a foundation and an idea of a creator God and an ultimate truth and the dignity of man and inalienable rights. I've often said I think this is about the best 
men can do this side of glory. But I'm also reminded, as de Tocqueville said, he said, I searched for America's greatness and I did not find it in her harbors. I did not find it in her commerce. I did not find it in the beauty of her constitution. He says, but I went into the churches of America and when I heard the righteousness of God declared from the pulpits, he said, America is great because she's good. And if she ever ceases to be good, she'll cease to be great. Now, I don't know if de Tocqueville had Revelation 18 in mind, but he very well could have. Because what he was saying is that the minute this great nation untethers itself from God, snubs its nose at God and says, we're gonna do whatever we wanna do and think we can get away with it, guess what we become? We become just another harlot of false government. And judgment is coming. Now, I believe that God could bring about a great movement in our generation, and I believe it is gonna happen. It's gonna begin in the pulpits of this nation when men begin to declare the righteousness of God and people start to turn to Christ in faith and repentance. Can God do that today? You bet he can. But just remember this, Revelation 18 reminds us, no matter how long we stay the judgment, one day judgment is coming. And make sure you're not putting your hope in a government or a politician. Make sure your hope is in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, King Jesus. The second thing this passage reminds me is that we're all, we're all a part of one of two kingdoms. You're either a part of the kingdom of God through faith in Christ or you're part of the kingdom of Satan following a path that ultimately leads to eternal destruction and eternal hell. Most people don't say, well, I'm, I'm following Satan. But according to Ephesians 2, where it says you're dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who is that? That's Satan. Meaning if you're just floating, following the course of this world, who do you think is leading the world in that direction? You're a member of one of two kingdoms and there's no middle ground, there's no neutral. See, this is the great danger that I find. A lot of people say, I wanna live in both. I want salvation, but pastor, I need a little carnality every now and then. I want Christ, but I don't wanna give him all my life, I wanna keep a little for myself and I'm able to give him maybe an hour a week and if he's okay with that, then I'm his man. And do you remember what Christ said? You cannot serve two masters. You'll either end up hating the one and loving the other or loving one and hating the other. You cannot serve both God and manna. At some point, you gotta pick a kingdom. You gotta decide. And I think what God is calling us to do today is come out of the world. Settle it once and for all that your kingdom and your ultimate king is Jesus. You're not trusting in the economy. You're not trusting in a politician. You're trusting in Christ alone. He's your king, and you are assured that his kingdom will never fail. See, we're called to live differently, to live a part of a different kingdom. We have joy not because this world is gonna get any better. We have joy not because we're hoping that the stock market will turn. We have joy because 2,000 years ago, God who made himself known in the Old Testament and said he was coming came, and God became a man 
And God the Father let the son grow until he was 33 years old. In the middle of his prime, God struck him down and punished him for what I did and raised him from the dead to confirm that he is God and his payment was sufficient. And according to the words of the apostles who saw it, I believed it. And it came into my life and changed me and justified me. And I am going to heaven forever. And I know that this world will end unto the glory of God. Because this book starts with creation. And it ends. And it ends with Christ in total victory. And through our faith in him, we will win as well. So we don't, we don't live as this world lives. We have a different king, don't we? We have different values. And therefore, we make different decisions. And because we make different decisions, guess what? We're going to have a different destination. Do we have a hymn? We got one. Pastor Bill, there he is. Sometimes, if you don't, just make this disclaimer. If y'all don't get the words on Sunday, it's because I, I gave him the verse too late, all right? So don't get upset with our media or Pastor Bill. Uh, you don't have words, but you should know this one. But I love this too. It's kind of, I like not telling Bill. I enjoy that. I like, I don't, but he knows so much. He never squirms. He's never worried about it. But he doesn't know one, one week I'm going to get him. I'm going, it's called Stump the Worship Pastor. There we go. Y'all remember this one? My hope is built on nothing less. What are you hoping in today? It's the stuff of this world. It's going to fail in Christ alone. Let's stand together. We're going to sing that first verse. It's my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's sing it together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. sing that last verse when we hear that trumpet sound oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne let's sing that together when we shall hear that trumpet sound oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone and before the throne on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand Father we thank you today for the firm foundation the solid rock of Jesus Christ Lord I pray if there's anybody in this room or maybe watching online right now, they know they've never trusted in you. God, I pray that you would work in their heart right now to reveal their sin and to show them the beauty of, of Jesus who died on a cross for their sins. 
I pray that they would run to him in repentance and faith, submit their life and know his forgiveness, his freedom and his security. God, for those of us that do know you, we confess today we are often pulled and tugged in different directions by this world. Constantly the trinkets of this world are being set out before us, promising us joy and fulfillment. God, I pray that your voice in our life would be louder than any other voice. And our focus upon you would be more intense than any other thing. That we would fix our minds on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And you would make us clean and pure and holy in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And people would wonder about the difference in our lives and we'd be able to tell them about our Savior Jesus who can save them too. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.